This time, we take a bite-sized chunk out of the recent mediocre blockbuster, Godzilla, King of the Monsters. And along the way, we ask, why isn't Charles Dance the primary villain? Is Vera Farmiga possibly the worst parent in cinematic history? And how exactly does radiation create life? We'll find out on Force-Fed Sci-Fi. Hello, gang. Welcome back to this nice little bite-sized chunk that we have for you guys today. It's kind of like a little special thing that me and Chris wanted to do. Because, uh, you know, Godzilla is such like a big fan universe out there, especially in like Asian culture, right? Yeah. Well, why don't you tell the people who you are? Who is this lovely voice that who, is Chris in who? our earwaves? Oh, man. My name is the inglorious bastard, Sean Michael Culp. Along the way with me on this journey is the infamous... The stomping around Chris Rupp. That is awesome. Stomping around. We are excited to bring you <laughs> this uh, this bite-sized edition of our take on Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Mm-hmm. I'm super stoked. Uh, we were talking about, like, I think you saw this film, right? I saw this uh, a couple of weeks ago. It took me a while to get around to it, but um, I w- I'm a fan of, um, of the Godzilla series. Okay. Um. Not as a whole. I don't have time to watch all 35 of those movies. But yeah, from like the 40s with the dude in the suit. Yeah, but I did enjoy the 2014's entry and I enjoyed mm-hmm. Kong uh, Skull Island. Okay. And this was just right in my wheelhouse. Same, same. I really enjoyed the 2014 one as well as Kong with yeah. Samuel L. Jackson. Have you ever seen the uh, 1998 with Matthew Broderick? Yeah, a lot of people did. Oh, that I was seven when that came out. <laughs> same. It was pretty terrible i do not recommend that film that's kind of like the non-canon version of the universe yeah that's the redheaded stepchild of the godzilla movies <laughs> for real um, but let's dive into this let's puppy, give a man. quick uh plot synopsis of uh, king sure. of the monsters now bear in mind uh this movie has been out for about a month so yeah. i i do feel obligated to provide a spoiler alert for mm-hmm. those of you who have not seen it yet this may not be the best episode for you to start with so please pause Mm-hmm. Uh, go see the movie or enjoy one of our other episodes for your listening pleasure. Yeah. But here's a quick breakdown of Godzilla King of the Monsters. So this takes place about five years after the events of the previous film, in which here, Monarch, the organization that's responsible for tracking and studying uh, the gigantic creatures known as Titans, is now under international pressure to begin hunting them and destroying them that is until a rogue scientist has discovered a way to begin calling all of these titans. It is now on a quest to eliminate humanity, bring balance to the world, and give total dominion back to the titans and Godzilla. Balance to the world. I thought for a second you were going to say balance to the force. Yeah, it's uh, her <laughs> Vera Farmiga who turns out to be the villain in the movie. Her yeah. motivations are very Thanos-esque. Yeah. <laughs> I will release all of them and they will change the world we will coexist which didn't really happen so speaking of uh cast and crew let's dive into that a little bit yeah. real quick here uh so the film was directed by michael dougherty mm-hmm. who prior to um directing this mediocre pile <laughs> of what we got um he wrote uh <laughs> x-men 2 yeah oh snap yeah and also wrote superman returns oh well yeah 
but it's Superman. The very, uh, it was a much hyped movie that didn't live up to expectations. No, it did not. Directed the holiday horror film Krampus from a couple of years ago. Also wrote the film with Zach Shields, who I couldn't find. Zach Shields. Yeah, he didn't what have an epic name. He didn't have a link. Yeah. So he's a non-linker uh, screenwriter. On w- the Wikipedia? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the film's also starring Kyle Chandler. Yes. Vera Farmiga, who we have mentioned previously. We've got the uh, great... Ken Watanabe. Yes, right? the legendary, yeah, I think we could call him. Yeah, he Ken is Watanabe. the man. He is. Uh, also starring Millie Bobby Brown from Stranger Things fame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I guess. I, uh, I love that show, full <laughs> disclosure. Stranger Things. That is uh, that is one of my top shows. I'm glad she could, uh, Billy Bobby Brown could break out of that. Millie. Millie Bobby Brown. <laughs> <laughs> Millie Bobby Brown. <laughs> so I was like, what? I feel like that's a female. She's got three first names. <laughs> Frick, man. Uh, also starring um, Sally Hawkins returning from the previous film. Mm-hmm. Charles Dance from Game yes. of Thrones fam, uh, fame. Excuse me. Uh, O'Shea Jackson Jr. Oh, yeah? Uh, from Straight Outta Compton and Son of Ice Cube. Okay. He was like the military sergeant yeah. guy. Yeah. Uh, David Strathern returns, reprising his mm-hmm. role from the first film, and uh, uh, Zhang Zi, a new uh, comer into the series. Yeah, the uh, monarch specialist. So, so with the exception of Sally Hawkins, Watanabe, and Strathern, there are no other cast members who returned from the no, previous film. They did not. They just like cut them all out, man. Yeah, I did find that surprising because it Same. seemed like every. Effort was made to distance this movie from the previous film. Oh, it felt like a completely different direction because the first one was more like a, like, it was almost like a drama with, like, a soldier trying to get back to his family. And, like, it was, like, about him and Godzilla was just part of the environment. Kind of, like, almost like Jaws in a sense. But this film, like, was more so about the monsters than anything. It was like, it almost felt the humans were shoehorned into the film. Well, I think a lot of that depends on the director. Yeah. Of the film and really legendary pictures only mandate for king of the monsters was the script had to include monarch rodan mothra and Ghidorah. that was their only mandate for wow. for providing a blueprint what for a, the movie what a film man like what cojones on those people to just be like this is all we want i feel like they didn't have as much of the human drama because of the criticisms from the first film. People were like, oh, there's not enough Godzilla. We want more monsters. So they're like, all right, we'll give you more monsters. We'll make the whole film about monsters. Well, what Gareth Edwards was trying to do in the other film was mm-hmm. harken back to the original reason why the Godzilla movies were made in the first place. They were more of a, a commentary on the hubris of man and scientific mm-hmm. advancement. Yeah. It wasn't about yeah. watching giant monsters fight each other and no. stomp, you know, skyscrapers to bits. No, not at all. That, and if you think it is, then you've missed the point. It was like it, it was the whole series came from the bombing of like Nagasaki mm-hmm. over there. They like made up this character, so it was never about <laughs> Godzilla. But more so the aftermath and how we dealt with him. Well, because we have such a departure from the first film, we get all of these red shirts. Yes. Like endless deaths. For me, Sally Hawkins' character, she was red shirted instantly when she was bitten by Ghidorah and was eaten. I that know. was insane. It was I was nuts. not expecting that at all. No, I don't think anyone was, but they really just wanted to erase anyone. It was like from Last Jedi where they just bomb 
the Leia's spaceship and just everyone gets sucked out. It's like, all right, bye, Admiral Edvard. Yeah. <laughs> See ya. Just get rid of every remnants of what was. Well, how about the other red shirt, the scientist at the yeah. very beginning of yeah. the movie? Yeah, he just gets blown away after like having that nice little fun dialogue with the daughter and Vera, and then all of a sudden, boop, goodbye. He gets a freaking bullet to the head. Who was uh, played by another Stranger Things yeah. connection here, uh, Mr. Clark, the lovable yet goofy science teacher from the first season of Stranger Things. Stranger Things. I've kind of watched Stranger Things, not too much of it. I just couldn't really get into it. I don't know why. Mouth breather. I can't. I just can't get into it. Uh-huh. I'm sorry. It's like Game of Thrones, man. It's too much time has passed. Well, this isn't me uh, riding Sean for a half hour about his choice of Netflix streamings. But getting back to the movie here, um, we, Mothra was also part of the marketing for this movie big time. Mm-hmm. And, I remember that picture. It turns out in the beginning of the movie, she's like a larva. Yeah, and then, you get to see the evolution. Yeah, but then she, I guess it's a she, actually. She, she comes back at the climax of the movie to assist Godzilla, and she dies too. She just dies. Why bother... Having her be a prominent role in the marketing. If all you're going to do is kill her. I know. To save Godzilla. We just got that from Ken Watanabe 20 minutes ago in the movie. I know. Like he set off this giant nuclear bomb to save Godzilla. Mm -hmm. And then he's the king of the monsters. And then Mothra is the queen of the monsters. But I guess now there's no queen. There's only room for one. Apparently. Or who's the new queen? There isn't one, I guess. Yeah, I guess the queen is dead. That kind of stinks. But she, you know, her death saved Godzilla. Long may she reign. That's right. <laughs> Maybe they'll bring her back some silly way. Well, I, I think they will. Um, she the, was, the CGI for her was great. I liked her. She was at the beginning, and then they waited until the end to bring her back, because I was kind of wondering where. Yeah, when Vera Farmiga like, steps in with the, yeah. the Orca machine, and it's like, I can control her. Oh, man. And then just her daughter just bypasses security and runs in, just jacks that dude's security badge. Yeah. It's like, man. Let's talk about Vera Farmiga as the villain in this movie. She is. She is. She's the, quote- villain of the movie she joins the she's the scientist that builds the monarch device that can speak to all the titans you know quote quote control them but then she gets kidnapped which doesn't end up being a kidnap she joins this eco-terrorist group led by uh charles dance yes and then she ends up just like losing control and releasing all the titans okay really Charles Dance should have been the villain in this movie. He had some of the best dialogue, the best, clearest motivations. I mean, he was great. Yeah, Vera Farmiga's character, Emma, she has probably the some of the worst motivations I've ever seen totally. in a villain, full stop. Yeah. She doesn't her what she says and does just doesn't make sense. And then she just bails on her entire concept of what she's doing because her daughter escapes yeah. and goes to Fenway Park and she's like, Oh, JK, we're going after my daughter. It's like what? And she wants to destroy the world because her son was killed in the previous I know. film. It's like what? And she brings up all these examples from the previous film of the of the cities that were destroyed and mm-hmm. the radiation from the Titans brought like all this life back. I don't think this ser- this this film has an understanding of how radiation actually works it does not because godzilla omits radiation and everyone that should be around him should be dead 
Or at least like suffering the aftermath. Like everyone in San Francisco should like be having problems. Like everyone in this movie forgot what happened after Chernobyl. Exactly. No one knew. It is ironic though that Chernobyl is still going, or did it, it just finish or something? No, the half-life of that reactor is something like 20,000 years. And they just finished putting um, a cover over the reactor. The reactor was still like open yeah. until... I think uh, two years ago. Wow. Mm-hmm. And there's all that. And the Russian aftermath. government still won't admit how many people died during all of that. Yeah, hey, man, they just need to use it on the plants because that <laughs> yeah. it promotes life. Yeah, like I, it's like you don't have an understanding of how radiation no. actually works because people die horribly from there's that. There's absolutely that was one of my problems with the writing of the film. What Charles Dance's character should have done was he should have shot Vera Farmiga's character, yes. taken the orca. And taking her daughter as a hostage. At the beginning part when they're like at the bridge and then Vera Farmingo like pushes the button, he should have shot Vera. Yeah. Or like any time afterwards when like she was talking and he's like, I'm sorry, did your daughter just tell you, did a child just tell you what to do? And there's nobody in the world who can deliver lines like that. That Charles Dance. Oh, he was great. What did she promise you? A utopia? A gra- I was like, man, this guy is crushing it, dude. If you want Charles Dance in another great movie where he plays like a similar, like, take no crap from anybody character, mm-hmm. watch him in The Imitation Game. The Imitation Game. Where he plays, it. He plays this colonel who's directing Alan Turing's group to break the Enigma machine. And Turing is developing this machine that will break the Enigma, and he wants a bunch of money for it. And he asks him to explain why he needs it. And he says, oh, it's all very technical. You wouldn't understand. And Charles Dance just look at, looks at him and goes, I suggest you make the effort to try. <laughs> That's awesome. That man, he just, he's got it. Whatever he has, he uses it well. Well, I think a, a lot of this movie suffers from overcharacterization. Yes. And a lot of that is on the filmmaker. That is on Michael Dougherty. It is, because they just pack so much. Like, Vera Farminga's husband, ex-husband, was like an alcoholic after the son died. He went away, study animals. She couldn't deal with the fact of his death, so she starts working on the monarch. The kid doesn't know how to deal with the parents. Like, all the bureaucratic and political crap that was wedged into it. It was just, there's so much, like, throwaway lines and exposition that we just didn't need all that. Like, what were we seeing? That scientist chick that yeah, studied the, the monarch? The uh, character played by Zhang Zi. Yeah. Um, apparently, she's a legacy member of monarch. Yeah. Like, her mo- her mother was in it, so was her sister. And, and we didn't need that. No. She had already established her prowess and her t- intelligence, um, listing off the mythology of these titans. Yeah. I, I thought that she was just had a PhD in titan theology. And then she just starts talking about a legacy member. I'm like, what? I don't care. I don't know. No. <laughs> no, we don't need that to establish that she is a good character and that she has earned her place, you know, on this bridge. It's true. We also have that stupid wisecracking scientist. Oh my gosh, that guy from uh, Get Out. He was so he's like the actor that played the dad in yeah. Get Out. And I just every time his jokes were just so stupid. They're coming up on Godzilla. Wow, Godzilla is so juiced. I'm like, why are you saying this? Please stop. Oh, we need to stop because I want to have children someday because the radiation levels are so high. It's like, dude, we get it, man. You don't. Who wrote this? We who get wrote it. this freaking script? Yeah, you're like if Chandler Bing became a scientist. Exactly. It was just like every time he opened his mouth, I'm like, stop. 
stop, get out, get away from me. Well, and this is also a good point to mention our lens flares of the movies. And, mm-hmm. you, and, and you mentioned one that was related to the Titans themselves. Mm-hmm. So what did I say? <laughs> the lens flare? Oh, my lens flare was the tropes of the humans always getting saved by the Titans. It was just endless. The three-headed dragon was released, and then they put the humans in three different times in this film and basically backed them into a corner. It's like, oh my gosh, we're under peril. We might die. And then Godzilla would always come and save the day. Yeah, I think we, uh, we've we referred to that as pulling a Lucas. Yes. Where you've written yourself so deep in a hole that you just now write it off as a, like a deus ex machina moment, like Jedi powers, or Godzilla shows up to save the day. Endless deus ex machinas in this film. The girl knowing how to apparently operate the switchboard on Fenway Park. Like, all that stuff. Emma knowing how to drive a military vehicle. The civilians knowing how to operate a military equipment. It was just like, what? No, you don't need this. <laughs> For me, the lens flare of the movie was probably the orchestral score. Yeah, because I mentioned that in the text when we were talking, how it just was so off-putting. Yeah, it it felt like it didn't fit with the tone of the movie. Mm-hmm. It was very... It was almost too bombastic compared to the first movie. Well, yeah, you'd have these big dramatic moments that would build up tension, and then it would just be destroyed by, like, the score. I always attribute those moments to, like, Jaws. Like, when um, the captain's getting eaten by the shark, there's no music whatsoever. It's just him thrashing about and the chomping and the brutal screams. And it's so powerful. Steven Spielberg was like, I don't want to score. Because I want the audience to hear the suffering that he's going through. And like literally it's just him dying, getting eaten. And it's terrifying. Yeah. You don't need a music to tell me how to feel. And I don't know if that's the director thinking like we're idiots. Like I'm going to tell you how you're supposed to feel and react in this film. I think it's just an overuse of the talent that is available. Because um, you have great character actors. You should just let them act. Exactly. Don't give them too much to work with because then mm-hmm. they're going to make their performances over the top or mm-hmm. if you're going to direct your composer to do a score you know give them a blueprint of what you're looking for don't don't exactly give somebody free reign mm-hmm. i mean of course the best creativity happens when somebody has free reign but if it's not going to fit with what you're looking for in the film then by all means give someone direction exactly like you can't just tell an actor to like do it better it, that's that's your director. You're supposed to tell them how to do it. Exactly. You're getting into George Lucas territory. Say your lines quicker and more intense. Yeah, the director, it was just, there was too much. And there's a great interview out there with Robert De Niro where he says the best advice he ever heard and he learned as he got older was you don't have to give so much when you're doing a scene. Just like a little bit is more than enough as an actor. Exactly. And I think that was the problem with this film. There was just so much, like, over-the-top action and lines where it was just like, no, just, we don't need this. You don't need to tell us how to feel. We don't need these comedic moments. Just let us sit with the monster. But, to me, this movie wasn't all bad. No, not at all. There were some great CG. The visual effects were nuts in this film. Yeah, I'm, absolutely. Like, um, what, what's the dragon's name? Uh, Ghidorah. Ghidorah. When Ghidorah lands on the volcano and then they pan out back to, and then there's the cross, the symbology for like the three-headed dragon and like um, Catholicism, you know, the revelations was just a beautiful shot. Not only the symbology with it, but just like the volcano erupting, the lightning, the everything was just beautiful. 
How about you? Uh, for me, I would have to go with the production design. Oh, he's nuts. It's it's important when you're doing a sequel like this, especially for a blockbuster film, and I mm-hmm. talk about this a lot, is you have to expand the world that the film is set in. Mm-hmm. And this movie did a great job of yeah. doing that, of establishing that there are other Titan creatures, mm-hmm. and that Monarch isn't just this shadow organization that's hanging out in laboratories. Yeah. Apparently whatever. they're well-funded for by, whatever reason, and then they have like by a- By the government, I guess? I don't know. That was- like a big plot hole yeah like how is all this funded because that all looks expensive it does the freaking touch screens the ships that they just have the subs apparently in kong uh freaking john goodman says that it's controlled but funded by the government it's not though so that was confusing at the beginning where they're like we want to take control and it's like but if they're funded then why do they want to take control why does the united states want if they're government funded, it's a severe lack of oversight on their yeah, part. I know. How do you miss out? And if you're funded by the government, why don't you have any say in it? It, it just boggled my mind, man. I couldn't, uh, couldn't wrap it around. Well, we're nearing the end of our uh, allotted time with this episode, so let's discuss how the film is doing now. Yeah. Um, so it has been out for at the time of recording about a month now. Yeah, May thirty first, I think. Yeah. So it's about yeah. What did you see for budget estimates on this movie? It was between one hundred seventy to two hundred million dollars. That's it, just nuts. And how much has it made now? It's like three seventy at this time. So, so in all likelihood, it's going to some. It's going to make up its budget and not so. much more. I think so. I think they're they're they thought it was going to do better like be one of those giant blockbusters but i just it's the problem is people domestically just don't like godzilla for some reason in the united states i don't know why but we just don't care for it and i don't know if they can that's probably why they had so many um like asian characters in the film because they're like well if we can't reach the u.s we'll at least reach the japanese well this is another entry in uh legendary pictures monsterverse yes and by all means, this is not going to delay the no. release next year of Godzilla versus Kong. No, they already have posters and everything. So that is going... Well, because I think Kong... We like Kong in America for some reason, but we don't like Godzilla. I don't know why. Kong is very American in that. I mean, people love the fact that it, every Kong story ends in New York City yep. climbing the Empire State Building and him getting shot off it. Every King Kong movie ends that way. It does, except for Kong Skull Island. Yeah, because that's an origin story, quote unquote. Quote, yeah. <laughs> but there have been three or four King Kong movies that end that way, and mm-hmm. it's an essential part of the story where it's it ends in America. Yeah. This one, oh my gosh. How crazy would that be if Kong fights Godzilla on the Empire State Building? Oh my god. Or Godzilla picks up Kong and just impales him oh on the Empire gosh, State Building. That would just be brilliant. That would be brutal. Like <laughs> Godzilla's going for the hard R there. Right? Oh, that would just be perfect. The irony. I would laugh mm-hmm. and I would love it. Uh we'll see. We'll see. It comes out next year, I think, yeah. 2020. So with all that in mind, Sean, what do you give, what rating do you give Godzilla King of the Monsters? Oh, Granted, man. we don't, for releases like this that are currently in theaters, we kind of forego the yeah. would host a viewing party rating. We just call it, would you, would you see it again? Would you um, see it again in theaters? What do you give King of the Monsters? I here? would not personally see it again in theaters, but I think if you're, into Godzilla and it's like kind of your thing and you like the universe that they're building 
Um, I would say go see it if that's something that you really enjoy. Personally, I was like, you know, a little disappointed, but I really enjoyed Kong, Skull Island, and Godzilla. So, you know, you can always win, but I'm probably going to see Godzilla versus Kong, <laughs> even though this one movie kind of makes me a little apprehensive. But I'd say go see it if you want some dumb action monsters fighting yeah. you know, and popcorn. How about you? Um, to me, I would have to call this a straight would not watch. Yeah. But I do put a caveat on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I would watch this if I was doing a marathon of Godzilla movies. Yeah. Okay. You wanted to keep it in the franchise and like, yeah. do the whole thing. While gotcha. the visual effects are spectacular, I think this film does suffer from actually having too many Titan fights. Yes. There's like four or five. Yeah. It's just you get fatigued by it. I got bored. There were times I felt like I was falling asleep mm-hmm. watching this movie. I fell asleep the first time viewing it. That's why I had to watch it again. Oh, my girlfriend was like, we left, and she's like, so is this like a Pokemon movie? Because oh, we saw Detective Pikachu. I don't know if she's serious or not, but she's like, so is this, why didn't they catch any of them? I'm like, oh, my God. Babe. Because, honey, that's spelled Godzilla. <laughs> oh man! But I, I mean, there's great. all I, there's so many characters that I can't stand in this movie. Yeah, and it seems like the filmmakers were doing their best to distance themselves from the previous film, which does which does the other Godzilla movie a disservice, in it my does, opinion, because it's by far the superior out of the three so far. Yeah, I probably would never watch this film again. I'm good with Godzilla. Yeah, I think I am too for a little while, at least until when uh, Godzilla vs. Kong comes out. Yep, then we'll talk about that one. Yeah. (laughs) So I think that does it for this bite-sized edition of the Force-Fed Sci-Fi Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. It helps drive us up the charts as well as help people like you find the show. We're across the spectrum of social media with Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at Forcefed Sci-Fi. You can check out and download episodes at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, Stitcher, or wherever you find podcasts, and please subscribe so you never miss an episode. And finally, you can check out our website, ForcefedSciFi.com, for show notes and links to all of our social media. So for all of us here at the Forcefed Sci-Fi team, we will see you next time. Force-fed sci-fi is written and hosted by Sean Culp and Chris Rupp. Website design, associate producer, and editing by Jeremy Kesky. Artwork designed by Mike Berger. Theme music composed and performed by Custom Anthem.